well, this morning I have uh, the joy, the happy task, the happy assignment of being uh, assigned to preach to you this morning as our congregations have come together uh, to worship God and to sit under the preaching of His Word. And um, I know my task is to preach, but I cannot help each time uh, that I appear before you, our brothers and sisters at Northwest Baptist Church, uh, to say something uh, of a word of thank you for your grace, uh, your kindness, and your Christian charity and generosity to our congregation. You have been the Lord's provision for us, and in God's kindness to us, He sent you into our lives. And uh, you have arranged in such a wonderful way to accommodate our church and the growth of our church and the ministry we sought to carry on here. And I want you to know from the bottom of our hearts that we love you, and we consider you a precious gift to our congregation and indeed part of us. We consider ourselves one with you. And pray along with you that God would be pleased to promote the gospel like a light emanating out from this place in this community. Well, your uh, pastors have taken a gamble on me. My understanding is I'm to preach in continuity with a series you've already started on the names and titles of the Lord Jesus Christ that were given in Scripture. And this morning, uh, I, I made this request. It just happened to work out well with the series I'm going to preach on one of my favorite titles for the Lord Jesus, and that is found in our text this morning. It is that title, Emmanuel, uh, which means God with us. If you would look with me again at Matthew chapter 1, just verses 22 and 23, I'd like to read. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We've already sung about the name Emmanuel this morning. We're going to sing about it again at the conclusion of the service. Uh, We as a church, Emmanuel Church, have taken to ourselves the name Emmanuel, God with us. How much do you know about this designation for Jesus Christ? And more than that, I wonder, uh, I want to encourage you this morning to use your imagination and to get into uh, the shoes or the sandals of Joseph when he first heard this word from the angel, that Jesus' name, this baby born, his name would be called Emmanuel, that is God with us. And my hope this morning is that as I open up that title, that designation for Christ, that name for Christ, and those words, God with us, my hope, my prayer is that we'll hear something in the ears of our hearts, what it was that Joseph heard when those words were announced to him so many years ago. So I want to do a very simple thing, okay? I want to consider each word, each English word, uh, in that title, Emmanuel, God with us. We're going to go a little bit out of order, though. Okay, the first point this morning is God. The second point this morning is us. And then the third point is with. Bit of an awkward outline, but we'll just kind of go along that way and opening up this title, God with us. God, and then us, and then with. First of all, consider with me God. To understand the wonder... Of this word Emmanuel, to understand something of what Joseph heard when he heard that word Emmanuel, I think we need to know something about the Bible's teaching on who God is and what it means that He is with us. We have to get God right. It has been said that the greatest need for the church today, not just for all mankind, but for the church in particular, the greatest need for the church today is to recover something of the biblical doctrine of God. We need to know who God is. 
We need to understand something of His character, of His nature, of His distance from us, and of His greatness, and His transcendence, and His majesty, and His might. We need to know who God is, what He is like, and what is our relationship to Him. Well, I contend that if we get God right, if we understand something of who God is according to the Scriptures, we might hear something of what Joseph heard, and we might understand something of the wonder of this announcement, Emmanuel, God with us. So let me start with a popular level statement on who God is. This comes from uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. That's a famous historic uh, church document. And in answer to the question, what is God? The answer to the Westminster Shorter Catechism reads this. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. In His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. These are lofty thoughts of God, high thoughts of God, and I contend exceedingly biblical thoughts of God. We have here first God in our text. This is God the creator, God the sustainer, God the author of salvation. This is the singular being that stands apart from the creation. Friends, consider with me for just a few moments. I want to read some texts aloud to you. Consider with me for a few moments the greatness of God. What is called His transcendence, His majesty, that is His height above His creation. just want to read a few verses in rapid succession. You don't need to turn to these texts. You just need to hear them read aloud. Capturing something of the greatness and transcendence and majesty of God. First of all, Isaiah 55 verses 8 through 9. God says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Job 11, verse 7. Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? Psalm 8, verses 1 through 4. Perhaps a well-known text to you. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Ecclesiastes 3.11 has to be one of the most profound verses in the Bible. He, that is God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart. Yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. He has put eternity, what does that mean? He's put eternity into man's heart. Yet, so that he doesn't have a clue what God has done or is doing. He can't figure out God. And yet, there is this element of eternity in the souls of men and women. How about some New Testament verses? Romans 11, verses 33 through 36. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And 1 Timothy 6, 5, excuse me, 15 through 16. He, God, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, 
who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and glory and eternal dominion. Amen. You sense something of the refrain of these texts. The transcendence, the majesty, the might, the glory of our God, and in some senses, distance from us. A sense that He is the only being in the universe in some way set apart from the creation because He Himself is the Creator. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. When you consider all that God has done, the sun, the moon, the stars, His handiwork in the creation, what is man? What is woman? What are little boys and little girls that He's mindful of them? And yet we read in other places in the Scriptures, God has numbered the hairs on our heads. He takes detailed interest in his creation. But, but why should it be so? He's so great. His wisdom unfathomable. His height above the creation is something that we cannot comprehend. This is God's transcendence, God's greatness. But consider with me also the holiness of God. And there's just one text I'd like to ask that you turn to. And it's located in Isaiah and chapter 6. The book of Isaiah and chapter 6. What does the Bible tell us about the holiness of God? There are a few scenes in the Scriptures accompanied with more drama, with more uh, gravity, than Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. And here we see something of the holiness of God. Follow along as I read Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 5. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Imagine that, kids. To see the Lord. To see the Lord sitting upon His throne. What was that like? Isaiah saw that. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Verse 2. Above Him stood the seraphim. Think of angels. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King the Lord of hosts. Here are these angels in the presence of God with these six wings. And they're in the presence of the transcendent glory and holiness of God. And they can't even look at Him. They have to cover their faces with their wings. And remember, these are not sinners in the presence of God. These are the holy angels. And they can't even look at God because of His holiness. They must cover their faces because of His glory. And Isaiah does the only thing he can do in the presence of such holiness and such majesty and such glory. He falls on his face and says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I don't deserve to be here. I don't belong here. I've got to get out of here. I can't stand in the presence of such holiness and majesty and glory. Exodus 15, 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. Do you get a sense from these texts, something of the transcendence, the majesty, the holiness of God? Remember, we're listening in with Joseph. What does it mean? God with us. 
Do you sense something of who this almighty being is? Whose thoughts are not our thoughts. Whose ways are not our ways. Do you sense something of the transcendence and majesty of God? Well, friends, consider how the view of God, which ought to be engendered and embraced in light of the text I've just read, consider the degree to which this view has all but totally vanished from popular Christian consciousness. How far are the views of God conveyed in these texts from the average 21st century church going? Prevalent among us today are views of God that are cheap, that are fleeting, that are irreverent. The average churchgoer enters into worship in a manner that is altogether casual, careless, and carefree. Well, why is that? Do we have high views of God? Did you anticipate this morning when you came into this place, you were going to meet with the living God? The God who Isaiah himself saw. The God who angels can't even look at, who dwells in unapproachable light, who alone has immortality. Consider this quote here from A.W. Tozer. Tozer penned these words over 50 years ago in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. And I contend that these words are even more relevant now than they were then. Tozer writes this. A condition has existed in the church for some years and is steadily growing worse. I refer to the loss of the concept of majesty from the popular religious mind. The church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and has substituted it for one so low, so ignoble as to be unworthy of thinking, worshiping men. This low view of God entertained almost universally among Christians today is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. For with our loss of the sense of the majesty of God has come the further loss of religious awe and consciousness of the divine presence. We have lost our spirit of worship and our ability to meet God in adoring silence. Modern Christianity is simply not producing the kind of Christian who could appreciate or experience or know the meaning of the words, be still and know that I am God. These words mean next to nothing, Tozer writes, to the self-confident, bustling worshiper in this period of the 20th century. Maybe we should add in this period of the 21st century. Well, friends, why am I talking this morning about all these big thoughts about God and the sense of His transcendence and His holiness? Well, might I suggest, many of you are church-going people. Some of you have been coming to church ever since you were children, and that's wonderful. Children, it's wonderful. Those of you who have been coming to church ever since, as as far back as you can remember, it's a wonderful gift from God. And we preach the gospel every week, don't we? We exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, could it be? Sometimes we come into church and, yeah, it's the same old story, same good news, again and again and again. Well, might I suggest that perhaps the beauty and the glory of the gospel has lost its shine because we don't have a sense sometimes of who God is. We don't see in the gospel infinite condescension. We don't see the, God, the Son of God descending from the heights of unfathomable glory to dwell among a sinful people. Now, this is a Christmas sermon, right? So I'll just put all my cards on the table. I believe when Joseph heard these words, God with us, there was something of, of, of shock in Joseph's mind when he heard that. Because he probably had in his mind this portrayal of God, the biblical portrayal of God, Could God really dwell with us? 
the, 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 the thrice holy God, could He dwell with, with us? The God who dwells in unapproachable light, who alone has immortality, how is it that He could dwell with us? Brothers and sisters, this morning, against the backdrop of the greatness of God, my hope is that the gospel and the coming of Jesus Christ into the world shines with greater brilliance. When we appreciate the heights from which Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into the world, oh, that makes the gospel so much more precious. That makes the story of Christmas so much more precious. He wasn't just some other man. He was the King of glory. He was the God of the universe. He was there in the beginning. He was the word by which God created the world with the word of His power. And this God dwells with us in the person of Jesus Christ. Don't you see, my friends, low views of God cheapen the gospel. Low views of God don't draw our hearts out in wonder and awe and praise and worship. But the higher our view of the transcendence, the majesty and glory and holiness of God, I contend the higher our view of the gospel and of the incarnation, and listen, the richer and sweeter our celebration of Christmas. Well, now secondly, we've seen God, the Bible's portrayal of God. It's been very brief and no doubt inadequate and insufficient, but we must move on. Now the second point, let's consider us. The second part of that statement, God with us. We've seen the transcendence and glory, majesty of God. Now let's look at mankind. However uh, depressing that might be. Obviously, those of you who have been in church know that in Genesis 3, by an act of willful rebellion, Adam and Eve sinned against God. Given every gift, uh, no sin in the world at that point, no sin nature in Adam and Eve, and yet, in an act of volitional rebellion against God, they sinned against Him and plunged the human race into sin. A few chapters later, Genesis 6-5, God looks down upon the world, upon now multitudes of men and women. And listen to this description, this indictment in Genesis 6-5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Can you think of a more sweeping indictment? I'll have you know, this was not an exceptional time in the history of the world. I contend that every day, Genesis 6-5 is being vindicated all over the world. Just look at the headlines. Look at Hollywood. Look in your own heart. Is man fundamentally good? Do you feel an impulse towards sin? We all feel it. We all have a sin nature. This This is mankind, according to the Bible. You know, Jeremiah 17 and verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick or desperately wicked. Who can know it? Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, describing all of mankind outside of Christ. It says this, you were dead in trespasses and sins. Dead in sin. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's, that's Satan. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I have more verses to read, but for the sake of time I won't. You might go home and look at Romans chapter 1 and the the ugly picture we're given of mankind in that text. So I'll just ask you, in light of these verses I've read, are men and women fundamentally good? 
I've not given any comment up to this point. I've just read verses of the Bible. Are men and women fundamentally good? Well, the, the Bible's answer is obviously no. We're riddled with sin. We have a sin nature. So often our thoughts and our actions and our words are wicked and evil. And so many of us have lived for large portions of our lives in rebellion against God. We know His Word. We see His invisible attributes reflected in the creation. But we've rejected God, haven't we? Mankind is fundamentally broken and fractured and sinful and fleeting and prone to failure. Well, now some of you came out here. Maybe I don't know if if everyone here comes to church every week. Maybe this is the only time of the year you come to church. I don't know. Uh, And you might be thinking, this is a really depressing message. I came for some Christmas cheer, right? I came to hear about a little baby born in the manger. Well, just hang on tight, okay? I do believe that if we appreciate something of the backdrop of who God is and who we are as sinful, corrupt men and women, we'll understand something more of the glory and wonder of Emmanuel. So consider with me now, thirdly, however awkwardly with this stilted outline, the word with. Seeing God, we've seen us. Now thirdly, this word with. With one little preposition. One little word. We have activated and ignited the wonder of this word, Emmanuel. Now let me just ask you, in light of what we've seen, first in the transcendence and glory and majesty and holiness of God, and in light of what we've seen in the sinfulness of man, who the Bible says his thoughts are only evil continually, whose heart is desperately wicked and deceitful, who could even know it? In light of those truths, what would you expect God to say to Joseph when God himself is going to come into the world? What would you expect him to say? Call call this one God separate from us. God far away from us. God against us. God to judge us. No. It's not what it says. Who would have thought let the glory and holiness and majesty of God and all the ways in which we've sinned against Him willfully and rebelled against Him, who would have thought this would be the announcement, God with us. God with man. God to dwell with man. God to invite man into a relationship with Him. Who would have thought that? How could that be? Do you hear something now of what Joseph heard when the angel made that announcement? You'll call his name Emmanuel. God with us. How could that be? I'm a sinful man. Like Isaiah, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell among a people with unclean lips. How is it that God could dwell with man? But this is precisely what the text says. God sends his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And he calls his name Emmanuel, God with us. In Christ, the living God shows solidarity with man. Imagine that. The perfect, transcendent, effulgent, all-glorious, all-powerful creator God who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light. This God purposes to dwell with man in the person of Jesus Christ. And the wonderful news, brothers and sisters, this is not only the message of Christmas. It's the message of the gospel. 
And it's the message of the whole Bible. You know, you can read the whole Bible this way. God's determination to dwell with his creation, to dwell with men and women. Why didn't he just wipe the whole human race out and start over? After so sinfully and willfully rebelling against God and upending the whole creation order, why didn't he just vanquish us and destroy us? He doesn't do that. But from Genesis 3 on, what is God doing? It's his determination to dwell with man. And listen to me, let's not make that abstract. It's God's determination to dwell with you. To be in relationship with you. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that glorious? That God, from before time, purposed to be in relationship with you and to invite you into communion with Him and fellowship with Him such that you can be with Him forever in paradise. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. That's what we celebrate in the Incarnation. That's what we celebrate in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. But let's be clear, brothers and sisters. You have to get this. God sending His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to make a way by which you can live in relationship with Him. Because that's what's happening here. He doesn't do that by ignoring your sin. He doesn't do that by winking at your sin. He doesn't entertain some pleasant fiction. Well, there's good things about these people. I'll take the good with the bad. No big deal. That's not how this works. God looks directly at your sin right in the face. And He makes provision for your sin in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because remember, He was also called Jesus. For He will save His people from their sins. There's this impossible chasm and divide between God and man. There's our sin that's been introduced as an obstacle. How can we relate with God? Well, it's in the person of Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, God has not ignored our sin or passed over it. He has dealt decisively with our sin. And listen, my unbelieving friend here in this place, he can deal decisively with your sin. I have the joy, the privilege of announcing to you the message of Emmanuel, God with us. Through the person and work of Jesus Christ and by repenting of your sins and believing on Him, you could enter into a relationship with the living God. Imagine that. We're not talking about a pie-in-the-sky, Santa Claus-type daddy God. We're talking about the living, almighty God of the Scriptures. You can be in a relationship with Him. In spite of all your sins. Because of Emmanuel. God with us. Because He has sent His Son. Through Him, you can be saved. Well, now in closing, I just want to share a few brief uh, thoughts, applications. First, for you here who are believers, you who call upon the name of Jesus Christ and are in fellowship with the living God, two words I'd like to say to you. The first is this. My brother or my sister, you have in the present right now a relationship with God. God with you and God for you. We enjoy in the present right now relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I have to tell you, God's love for you, and this should be encouraging, it's not a love that ignores your sin, but it's a love that deals with your sin. God looks your sin right in the face and having dealt with it, dwells in a relationship with you. Listen, God knows everything about you. He knows you better than you know yourself. My mother used to say that. She said, boy, I know you better than you know yourself. God knows us exhaustively. 
He knows how many or how few hairs are on our heads. He has numbered our days and our breaths. He's measured them out. He knows everything about us. And in spite of all that, all that might make us ashamed, He loves us and is determined through His Son to dwell in a relationship with us. That's the glory and wonder of Christmas. God with us. Let that wash over your heart and your soul this Christmas season. God wants to be in a relationship with you. And it's not based on a fiction about you. It's utterly realistic. Now this might be slightly tedious. But I want to read a quote to you from J.I. Packer. It's a little bit long. But I think it will be well worth it. And it's good for us, brothers and sisters, to meditate on these words from Our brother, Dr. Packer, as we think about the incarnation, God with us, his determination to be in relationship with us. Packer writes this, What matters supremely, therefore, is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palms of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge on him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me. And there is no moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted from me, and no moment, therefore, when his care falters. This is momentous knowledge. There is unspeakable comfort in knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for my good. There is tremendous relief in knowing that His love to me is utterly realistic. Listen to this. Based on, at every point, on prior knowledge about the worst about me, so that no discovery now can disillusion Him about me in the way I am so often disillusioned about myself. And quench his determination to bless me. There is certainly great cause for humility in the thought that he sees all the twisted things about me that my fellow humans do not see. And I am glad. And that he sees more corruption in me than that which I see in myself, which in all conscience is enough. There is, however, equally great incentive to worship and love God in the thought that for some unfathomable reason, he wants me as his friend. And desires to be my friend. And has given his son to die for me. In order to realize this purpose. That wash over your soul. This Christmas season. God desires to dwell with you. To live in relationship with you. And indeed to be your friend. And to invite you in as sons and daughters of the living God. Secondly, to Christians here, remember also, brothers and sisters, though we can enjoy God with us in Christ in the present, there's coming a day when we will enjoy Emmanuel in its fullness at the end of the age. God will dwell with man. Revelation 21.3 tells us this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. Finally, in closing, my final words here. Are there any in this place who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, don't profess to be followers of the Lord Jesus, believers in Him? I want you to know that there's only one obstacle between you and God. 
one obstacle. That's your sin. Sin presents an obstacle between fellowship, between God and man. But what we celebrate at Christmas and indeed every week of the year is that God has interposed His Son. He sent His Son into the world to address our sins, to deal with our sins, to save us from our sins. Such that it can be true, in fact, that God is with us and we can dwell in relationship with Him. And my lost friend, I implore you, I urge you to come in repentance and faith. You can dwell in a vital relationship with the living God. And you can have the hope of heaven. You can have your sins forgiven. You can have Christ as Savior. Fellowship and communion with God Himself. One obstacle, your sin. And in the person of Jesus Christ, that can be removed. That can be removed. All you must do is put your faith, your hope, your trust in Him. Repenting of your sins and turning to follow after Jesus. And He will be pleased to draw you into a relationship with the living God. Well, may it be so. Let's pray together.